0: to the Baptist Friends podcast where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Today, Pastor Clarence Sexton continues the conversation on the shepherd and his sheep. Thank you for joining us today. I'm so glad that we're able to do this because what we believe about truth, what we believe about God, God's Word. The 23rd Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The most difficult thing in life for us who are pastors is to allow the Lord to truly be the God of our lives. Let God be God. And uh, we're not to compartmentalize that, but to allow the Lord to take full control. Before we pray and begin today, I, I want to just say just a word about our session last week. It's up. Thousands of people have been watching it and sharing it, and because of its content about COVID-19, it has um, <laughs> it has got attention from other groups, and they're challenging it, of course. And referring people to the CDC websites. I I hope you've used it. Some people have played it to their congregations. Occasionally, there are videos where we can use them for our people and for their blessed benefit. So, I I hope if you haven't seen it, you weren't with us last week, that you'll watch it. And if you can use it and pass it on to other people, that's good. What I've asked many of you to do is post things as your own. That way, if we are challenged to put things off or to take things down, if you've originated it from your position, and I hope you can do that, I I hope we're putting things up where you could actually do that. Then they have a harder time destroying it. They, meaning the enemies of whatever we're trying to do. <clears throat> and that happens often. It really does. We're in a real battle in our country. And it's awfully easy to think that Christianity is just for America, and uh, our our feelings about everything revolve around what's happening in our country but the whole worldwide people need the lord they need the lord we're dealing today with the shepherd and his sheep the shepherd and his sheep we're continuing where we left off i'll give just a brief summary of what we were talking about when we were on this subject and then uh, we'll start again i hope you have a pen and paper ready i hope you have your bible open you can write some things down and we'll allow God to use this to instruct us. I need instruction. We all need it, don't we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And we pray that you'll give us liberty. Help us. We're praying for thy help and aid. Those of us gathered in this room, may we be in one accord praying and believing you trusting you thankful to you in Christ Jesus name we pray amen many of you are praying for revival if I could have you raise your hands or say amen or send us a text you'd say I'm praying for revival I want to just ask you why why would you pray for revival why do you think we need revival Why revival? A revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. Our founding fathers, when founding this nation, uh, declared that we could not exist as a nation without virtue. They were really combining three things. They were combining liberty... With virtue or behavior, Tocqueville, who came to visit from France, introduced us to the word mores, the mores of a society, the heart feelings of a society. And uh, what we don't want, what we don't want is to get stuck on something or someone who's not interested or distracted because my whole heart is given to this in such a way that I want you to understand. I'm not giving my time to this. I'm giving my life to this. So that's what life is made of. Now, I just want to ask you again, why, why do you want a revival? Why would you want a revival? Someone has said, and I think correctly, that there are three elements that we must have in our country. We recognize that God has given us liberty. That's the the first freedom all of us have, individual soul liberty. When you truly understand that, when you truly understand individual soul liberty you know that we cannot be dictatorial. We can't force people to do things. You can't force anyone to be a Christian. You can't force anyone to live the Christian life. And you you just absolutely uh, must always be thinking how you're dealing with people. How did God create people? How did God put them together? And uh, so individual soul liberty. We're free people. We have a freedom. I've... I've dealt with several things about liberty, individual soul liberty, and preached messages on individual soul liberty. If you talk about our faith, that's the the crux of the whole thing. That's where it is. Um, We're working with God and God's Holy Spirit in preaching the gospel. And when we want people to come to the Lord, you say, well, I want people to be saved. Why do you want people to be saved? Why do you want people to be saved? The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And most every one of us who says, well, we want people to be saved so they can escape hell and go to heaven. That's wonderful. I know heaven's my home. But think about, God says there are over 30 things that happen to you when you get saved. There are over 30 things that accompany salvation. But one thing we must think about is when a person truly comes to know the Lord as his Savior, Christ comes to live in him. And as He comes to live in Him, as He comes to live in Him, then He enables us to do the things that God wants us to do. When you introduce someone to Christ and they truly receive Christ as their Savior, the Creator God comes to live in them. There's no doubt about it. God lives in them. And when the Lord lives in them, then they are enabled. They're now enabled to live the Christian life. I'm thinking to someone, what are the great oughts? O-U-G-H-T-S. What are the great oughts? What are the things we ought to do? What are they? When you say that a person is a Christian, there are things in God's Word that speak to the oughts, the things we ought to do. Sometimes pastors are foolish enough to get themselves in a position where they think they're on one side and the people are on the other side and you've got to make them do what you think they ought to be doing. That's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. You're speaking the truth in love and it's the Holy Spirit of God who's confirming that truth in someone's life who's been born again and that person who's been born again knows there is divine prompting to do the things he or she ought to do. That ought to exist in every person's heart who knows the Lord, the things that we ought to do. So we deal with that liberty. Our country was based on people being free free Uh, and so we thank God for this freedom I'm trying not to be distracted by people who don't pay any attention and so I I want you to pay attention and ask God to guide you and help you Um, and so what what is this liberty that we have this individual soul liberty and then when we talk about this liberty or this freedom we talk about being a free country and the freedom in our country. But we can't have freedom. We can't govern ourselves unless there's virtuous living or the mores of a society, the heart feelings of a society are what they ought to be. So we, we talk about virtue. As a matter of fact, that's the first thing God says that we're to add to our faith, virtue. And there's, that's, a, that's a, a, a moving, an enthusiasm toward right living and to do the right thing. But that can't happen. Here's revival. That can't happen in our country unless people are affected by God and want God's will to be done in their lives. There has to be. You say we want revival. Stop stop talking about things and start thinking why you're saying those things. We want revival so people come back to God, have this divine ought motivated within them to do the right thing. There's a great emphasis today, and I'm part of it. I'm trying to get people uh, registered to vote. We have millions, multiple millions of people who say they're Christians that don't vote. Now you and I think, how in the world can someone be a Christian with all that's on on the line in this day and time? How can someone be a Christian and not exercise the, the right we have, or the privilege we have, rather, to vote? How? It's because they don't have in them what they ought to have in them. Uh, you know, we, we went through a period all around the world of thinking that we would go free people, go free people. Well, what can, what can people have been freed by, by the, the efforts we make What can they do with the freedom they have? So there's an element of faith, an element of virtue, and an element of freedom that all have to combine. I didn't come up with this. Uh, Os Guinness has written a wonderful book about that, and I, I hope some of you get it. But when you're dealing with your flock, you're dealing with influence. And so you're the shepherd influencing the sheep. You're not controlling the sheep. You don't go out and try to make sure the sheep do everything they ought to do every day. But you're given the truth of God's Word and the truth of God's Word will lead them to do the right thing. So uh, your church is not some group that you just speak to like someone comes and makes their speech and what do you think about my speech? No. What is the, what is the action taken? What are people motivated to do? What have we taught them from God's Word? How are we leading them? How are we guiding them to God? And so um, I, I'm, I'm making a case here, and if you haven't gotten it, I want to just spell it out for you. The greatest thing being done in the world is what you're doing as a pastor. There's no more powerful work than the work of shepherding people. Nothing. Nothing. And there's no needier work that needs to be done in America than the work you're doing. Think of it this way. You're influencing people who can influence people who can influence people who can influence people and get an element in our society that's absolutely essential. This country, this country won't do the right thing just because it's right to do it. They have to have a desire within them to want to do it. And that's, that's what the Holy Spirit does in a person's heart. And our founding fathers recognized that and they created a government and the documents of our founding fathers that were placed in our hands, cherished by us, take for granted that people will have those three elements. The element of freedom and of virtue, a way to live, heart feelings, that guide them to right things. And that's impossible without faith. And so may God help us. You're at the heart of it. Your preaching is at the heart of it. Your your messages are at the heart of it. So what is it that God is saying through His Word to you and to your people as you're leading your your sheep? Uh, Don't get the idea that we can just go through these things and say, the shepherd does this, the shepherd does this, the shepherd does this, and be done with it. Uh, I'm, I'm saying to you, we need to start asking lots of questions about why, not just how. <laughs> I've said this so many times, I, I'm almost ashamed to say it again. I apologize saying it again. But in our training institutions where we were training people in what were called theological institutions and Bible schools, up until maybe a half a century ago, the emphasis was on theology and what God said, and then it moved more to what was said about what God said, and then it became so philosophical that we talked about how to do things. It was nothing to find young preachers and ministers being trained about how to build a church or how to enlarge a Sunday school or that type of thing or 15 ways to make it bigger or all that kind of thing. Well, that's, that's, all, that's all something that we've, we've lost ourselves in. Let me explain that to you. When you have a theological training, when, you've, when you know the Word of God and you're being trained in the Word of God, then you understand that our philosophy comes out of our theology. The Lord's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And so we start with God. We begin with God. And we don't try to make everything fit with our picture or our description of God. What we're trying to do is let God speak for Himself and, and then apply God's Word to our lives. I think the the bottom line is that a lot of people are being trained for the ministry now in how to do things, but don't truly know the Lord. And if you don't know God's Word, you don't know the Lord. If you don't know God's Word, you don't know God. And so we get into routines and religious endeavors. That's why it's so easy to substitute activity for spirituality. Our being is more important than our doing and teaching people that their being is more important than they're doing because if they are the right people, they will do the right thing. So I, I want to give this caution before we continue on leading the sheep. You're not guiding the sheep to yourself. You're guiding the sheep to God and to God's Word. So important. So with these meditations on the shepherd and his sheep, that's where we started. And I gave you a number of them. The shepherd is an abomination to the world. That's where we start in the Word of God in Genesis chapter 46 and verse 34. No need for me to say much about it, but that's reoccurring. The shepherd is an abomination uh, to the world. So you, you think if I can get the world's approval or get in good with the politicians or get the favor of those kind of people? No, no, no. It's up to God to do that. Not for you. It doesn't mean you need to be mean as a junkyard dog and... Hateful to everybody. Uh, you ought to be the nicest person anybody met. But the shepherd is an abomination to the world. The shepherd receives his strength from the Lord. Genesis chapter 49 verse 24. And then we dealt with the shepherd leads his sheep. And that's always what's going on. Numbers chapter 27 verse 17. The shepherd leads his sheep. And uh, and then the fourth thing I said was the shepherd fights For and protects his sheep, and we use David as an illustration of that about David testifying to Saul about what he did. And then the shepherd keeps the sheep from being scattered. Uh, I want you to look at 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 17. The Bible says, "And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills, as sheep that have not a shepherd." And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. The sheep were scattered. I'm going to tell you something strange. You may not agree with it. It's okay. We can disagree and still be friends. But I have many people who refer to me as their pastor who are not members of our church. Now, that's not the way I I want it best the best is I'm, I'm leading people who've been saved, follow the Lord in believer's baptism, have identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ publicly, and obeyed Christ in believer's baptism, and voluntarily make themselves members of they, they present themselves as members of the Temple Baptist Church. But because of meetings we have and places I preach and gatherings we conduct, I have lots of people who have no pastor who called me their pastor. Um, Our former mayor of our city was not a member of our church, but he called me his pastor. And when he had things to counsel about or talk with or questions he had, he, he would call me and I'd call and talk to him. And he's a dear friend. There are other people in political life who have referred to me as their pastor. And so you have an opportunity as a shepherd to shepherd beyond your, your flock that's gathered on the Lord's day. And what you say is important. And so, as the shepherd deals with his sheep, let's write down, on these daily things, day number five, the shepherd keeps his sheep from being scattered. People need what you have to say if what you have to say is from the Lord's word. And so, God guide us. Number six, the shepherd leads the sheep into rest. I want you to notice Psalm 23, verse 2. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside still waters. This is about rest. The Lord Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor in heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then he said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. There's a rest of salvation, and there's a rest of of the soul in living. You see, some people think uh, that if I can just get away for a few days, and we need to get away. I need to get away. My wife and I get away uh, regular periods of time. I recommend that. I didn't do that as I should have done that as much as I should have when I was uh, younger in the ministry. But uh, it's hard, it's hard to do. But we plan what you might call a vacation or a time of rest or recreation. Right now we go to a certain place in America, and I'm not going to tell you where it is. Um, (laughs) Some of you rats would plan to be there too. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, uh, I don't want to see you, I want to see her and, and some other people but we take a week away and we try to rest. But that's a rest mostly for our bodies and sometimes for our mind. But listen again to what Jesus said. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a rest in our enmity with God. There's a rest in our struggle with the Lord. It's like the peace we receive, this peace with God. But then he he continued, take, that's an action, take my yoke upon you. That's a deliberate act of our will, our volitionary action to move into a a union with Christ. Take my yoke upon you. Many pastors are trying to, to pastor the sheep without having taken the Lord's yoke. Many Christians are trying to live the Christian life without taking the Lord's yoke. Take my yoke upon you. It's His yoke. Take my yoke upon you. That requires dying to self, taking our yoke upon and and learn from Him. What do we learn from Jesus? We learn that He's meek, that He's lowly in heart. And then He provides for us something we can't provide for ourselves. He gives us rest for our souls. Now there's a certain comfort in your people by knowing that you're doing the right thing, you're in the right place, you're speaking the right word. But you can't give your people that rest. Only God can give it to them. So you're guiding your sheep to the Lord and helping them to find the rest that they can find only in Him. And they must also take His yoke upon them. And they must learn of Him And they'll learn about him that he's meek and lowly in heart. And they'll begin to find rest for their souls. I don't think this is a retreat. You know, we have retreats. We have pastor's retreats. We have lots of retreats. We have student retreats for the Crown College. I have retreats for myself. But sometimes we need to discover, maybe now, that there's rest in the work. While we're working, there's rest. By giving things to God, trusting the Lord, believing God. Uh, I see Dan Knickerbocker with us today. Dan and I have worked together to do a lot of things. And uh, I remember often when we were struggling with some things, I'd say, Dan, don't worry about anything. Just don't worry about it. Don't worry about anything. You know, we have more irons in the fire than we've got hands to handle them. But God's in control. And we have to find that God is in control. And you can, you can wrestle about your own life or your children or your home or your family or church. If I begin to just dwell on how many things we need, how much money we need, I mean, how many labors we need, I can be overwhelmed. You see, there's something I remember reading, I recommend this biography to you, Up From Slavery. Uh, I wish you'd read that, Up From Slavery. And Booker T. Washington's life story, his autobiography, just a it's just a small book, but and you can get it for a dollar somewhere. Up from slavery, read it, and how God used him. He died at 57 years old of a stroke. He tar- started Tuskegee Institute. We need we need a hundred Booker T. Washington. Well, we just need one Booker T. Washington today to speak to to the black people, and um, God help us. But that, 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 that life of Booker T. Washington spoke to me, that a man would take upon him all that pressure, all that responsibility, and have all that crushing down upon him. And apart from the Lord giving him rest and him seeing that he was doing this for God, having taken the Lord's yoke upon him and learning of Christ, you see, when you learn that Christ is meek and lowly in heart, you'll stop trying to force your way through life. I know a lot of good men, nice guys, some of them are my friends, who, who just try to fight their way through everything. I mean, they, it's root hog or die, you know, kill or be killed. Um, they're running the rat race, and they're some of the biggest rats. But if you went home with them into their home and talked with their home in their home and their family, They're not happy. The wives aren't happy. I have a pastor friend now who had been in the ministry for 30 years. His wife came home one day and he said, I'm finished. She said to him, I'm finished. I've been married to you all these years and you've never been happy one day. Not one day have you ever been happy. And I'm finished with this life. And she left him. She left him. You see, you and I must take His yoke and we must learn of Him and find that He is meek and lowly in heart and we must find rest for our souls. We talk about our salvation. We've been forgiven of our sin and our record, His record is on our account. But what about the soul rest we need? And that's what the shepherd does. He leads his sheep to rest. And they'll find that rest only in the Lord. And then on day seven, the shepherd calms the fears of the sheep. I I don't know if this is your testimony, but I can say this, and I really believe that when I say this, it's not an exaggeration, not on hyperbole. I'm not trying to just throw something out there to scare everybody. I've never seen as much fear in people's lives as I see today. Never. You know, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ came to defeat the devil, and He did. Well, how did He defeat the devil? He died. He had to die to take care of our death. And He said, I've defeated the one who follows you around all of your life and and hangs over your head the dread and fear of death. Well, that's conquered. That's all finished. He said, I have the keys to death, hell, and the grave. That's all finished. And so the shepherd takes care of those fears. Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. There's one great fear that relieves us from all lesser fears. Write that down somewhere and quote it to your people and then explain it to them. I think that should be at least in my little book, The Pastor Said. If you don't have The Pastor Said, uh, just stop right where you are now. Send me an email and say, send me your book, The Pastor Said. It's a, a book of expressions that I've given over 50 years. I'll send it to you absolutely free. And you can share them with other people. But there's one great fear that relieves us of all lesser fears. And it is the fear of God. And I'm a fearful person. I'm sorry to admit it to you. And the older I get, it seems like the more fears I have. I wasn't afraid of heights years ago. Man, you know, when I was a boy, what we did, we climbed the biggest tree in the neighborhood. We went to neighborhoods to find bigger trees. We used to go out and prowl around other neighborhoods to find a tall tree. And then we'd challenge one another like little idiots do when they're young. And we'd say, I bet you can't get to... And we went to the top of the tree to the last fork in the tree. No matter how far it was, you couldn't conquer that tree until you got to that last highest fork in the tree. I remember falling out of one of them one time and knocked me out. And uh, they thought I was dead. They ran to get my mother. That's how scared they were. And we were a long way from home. And by the time she got there, I would awakened. But uh, I wasn't afraid of things. But now, I find myself, I'm afraid. Evelyn drives a lot of the places we go, and I'm afraid of her driving. She says, you're about to drive me crazy, you know? You know, you know how some people drive to the right of the road, other people drive to the left of the road? She drives to the left of the road. She's, and, and, and sometimes it's like almost hitting at somebody. I, I drive the other way. And I think it's the way she grips the steering wheel. But that woman, that woman is scaring me to death. But it didn't used to bother me. And, uh, and many things like that, just fears and more fears. And I have to say, oh, God, I know you're with me. I'm in your hand. Nothing can pluck me out. And it's, 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 it's recognizing what I have in the Lord. and it has, He has me that calms me of some of those fears. It really does. God's Word says in the book of Ecclesiastes, the older we get, the more fearful we become. And so uh, the shepherd is working that. I want you to know something. When you stand to speak on the Lord's Day, when you speak on Wednesday evening, you're speaking to frightened people. They would never admit it to you, but you're speaking to frightened people. And if you want to talk about your fears, go ahead and talk about them. But talk about how you've conquered them, and God has conquered them for you. How you're trusting in the Lord. There are people in business who are afraid their business is going to fail. There are there are people rearing children who are afraid that they've reached an impasse with a child. Uh, there are people uh, there are people sitting there, ladies, who think they're getting old and and uh, no longer no longer have the confidence that they have that God once gave them about. Trusting Him that all is well. I'm just telling you, people are frightened. Children are frightened. Uh, I don't like to dwell on these things. I know one time I preached a series of messages, maybe more than one time I preached a series of messages where I had to dig about all these circumstantial things that happen to people and suicide rates and you know, all these kinds of things. And it's frightening to think how many children are taking their lives a day. Their kids. They're kids listening to you. That are looking for a word from God that will help them with their fears. And that's what the shepherd, that's what the shepherd must do. He must do that. Take them into the arms of your heart. Let them know that God is still on the throne. The reins of the universe are still in God's hands. All is well. All is well. And the shepherd deals with the fears of the sheep. And he calms their fears. And so it's not the absence of fear and the absence of danger or absence of trouble that calms them. It's the presence of the shepherd. It's the presence of God. And as God comes near, the fears become distant. As God comes near, the fears become distant. It's not its not up to you to get up and tell them how much you know. Bring the people into the presence of God. You know, uh, I, I don't know if you've read the book we put out on uh, the life of God and the soul of man by Henry Scogel. Uh, when was that? James uh, 1667, something like that. It came out for the first time. And I thought it was so wonderful I read it and then read it and then read it and read it and I'm looking for it here behind my back it's here somewhere and uh, but anyway the uh, yeah, I read this you know I read this about five times the first time I read it because I, I knew it, it was slow for me and I was trying to soak it all in And Scroggle says, I am am delivering the Word of God while standing in the presence of God. Think of it. We get so nervous and upset sometimes, so fearful that we are preaching to people wondering if they're going to accept it or whatever. Think how it would calm our hearts as as shepherds to speak in the presence of God. If you don't have the book, the life of God and the soul of man, I'm gonna charge you a thousand dollars for it, but you can ask I'm just <laughs> kidding you about the thousand. Uh, <laughs> I'd like for you to have it. And if you're if you're poor, such a poor preacher and you don't have any money and you spent your last dollar, if you put that in an email, I'll send it to you for nothing. But it, it costs what? What does it cost? Nine, nine. nine. ninety five. Maybe you can steal nine dollars and ninety five cents and send it to me but I want you to read this book, The Life of God and the Soul Soul of Man. It's everything about the fact that God is enough. Look, a mighty revival is coming. The revival is the necessary ingredient that freedom must be joined with because the revival and the nearness to God will bring the virtue to life, the kind of heart feelings to life that are required in a a self-governing country like we have that's why we have to have the revival the revival that brings God near and so get near God so you can help bring God near other people the shepherd the shepherd relieves the fear the shepherd guides the flock he guides the flock Psalm 78 verse 52 but made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. That's what God says about Moses and his time, that he guided his people like a flock. God guides us like a flock. He treats us this way. And um, his purpose, his timing. God's will has to do with his purpose and his timing. And you're guiding your people. Are you guiding them? And guiding them to God. God. We, we have people following us as we follow the Lord, no doubt about that. I, I've, I've thought about pastors. I had a pastor named Dillard Hagan. That's really the first pastor. I was led to Christ by Dr. J. William Harbin at the First Baptist Church in Maryville, Tennessee. Dr. Harbin was a great man, but I wasn't there long. I was there as a boy, and I'm so grateful that he led me to Christ. And then my first pastor was a man named Dillard Hagen. Dillard Hagan never pastored a church, I don't think, over 200 people. I'm not trying to minimize that, though as I've said to you before, 80% of the churches in America have less than 100 people in them. It's not a, a, the size of a church that matters. It's the sort of church it is. It's the sort of church. And the only measure God uses for a church, the only yardsticker measure God uses for life and church is in its likeness to Jesus Christ. Well, I want you to know that Brother Hagin loved the Lord. And he loved me. And for some reason, I was a special object of his care. And he he taught me so much. Uh, Ladies, I must write a book sometime, just a short book. Maybe it's a long book. Maybe it's a little book. Maybe it's a booklet on things I learned from my pastor. And I want to do it all about Dillard Hagen. I have a list somewhere about things Dillard Hagen taught me. I like to honor the man because he honored God by helping me He's the one who taught me how to baptize and how to serve the Lord's Supper and how to preach the Bible and so many things. But he guided my life, and it was always not doing like Dillard Hagan did. It was, this what the Lord wants. This is what God says. Maybe I've told you this. And if I have, uh, forgive me. But there was a preacher by the name of Jess Moody, and I think Jess is with the Lord now. He pastored a church down in, in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, And he was a very popular preacher. And he started a new, sort of new fancy in preaching when I was just a young fellow starting out. Uh, Jess Moody was uh, such a good speaker that what he would do, he would go to the pulpit and he would speak and never open his Bible. And then at the end of the message, he would give a Bible verse. Now, I'm not trying to trying to be a critic of Jess Moody. I'm just giving you an illustration. Brother Hagin was annoyed by that. He said, A man of God should open the Bible and begin with God and God's Word. And he said, Clarence, I don't want you to be like that. I I want you to be like a man who opens his Bible, reads the Bible, and preaches the Bible. Let people know from the very beginning it's God's Word that you're giving them. And I remember that so distinctly. And so... Uh, that's where I got in this habit you know take the word of God and turn with me and then and then Frank sales came along and encouraged and reinforced that of course but we're we're beginning we're guiding people to the Lord we're guiding people to the Lord into God's word and uh, it's almost like you're standing back in a sense though you're not standing back you're standing back in a sense and saying now look this is what God's word says and I've told our young preachers that we're training here at Crown College don't don't get into this thing like, It's you against them. This is what you ought to do. This is what you ought to do. This is what God says you're supposed to be doing. No, 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 no. You get in that crowd with them. And and you're with them. This is what God teaches that we are to do. This is is the instruction God's giving all of us. If you become one of these smarty pants preachers, uh, I won't like to see that. And I don't think God will either, who's telling everybody how to do it. God speaks to all of us, doesn't He? And He's guiding all of us. You happen to be the prompter. You're in the pulpit, but God is using you. Have the right attitude toward God, and you'll have the right attitude toward your people. If you look to the Lord first, if you look to the Lord first, you can say anything God leads you to say to the people. But if you don't look to the Lord first, Your people will think you're being naughty or mean or hateful. Uh, I don't know how anybody can say anything any stronger than I say to our people, but I'm saying it to myself. And this is what God says to us about what we're to do. But look to the Lord and I think try to have His heart speak to the people. And then on day nine I have down here, the shepherd knows the state of his flock. Now remember these are all verses through the Bible about shepherding in Psalm 27 verse 23 the shepherd knows the state of his flock be thou diligent to know the state of thy flock and look well to thy herds notice the little word diligent diligent. in other words as a shepherd God says make the flock your business make God your business and the flock he's given you your business you're diligent about it. I remember reading in W.B. Riley's set of books. Dr. Robertson's favorite books were the commentaries by W.B. Riley. And it wasn't his Bible preaching, Dr. Robertson just loved the illustrations Riley used. Riley, years ago, was a pastor of the First Baptist Church of Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is a church that is no more. That reminds me. Dr. Robertson sitting with me one time across his desk at Highland Park and said, someday, Clarence, what we've done here will be the platform on which every, else, every other thing can be done or it'll be all that's ever been done. And he was trying to tell me, I want you to see this as the, the, the platform we've built, the foundation we built on which someone like you could go forward with it. But he said, someday the Highland Park Baptist Church may be no more And you know what I said to him? I said, now, Dr. Robertson, forgive me for saying that, but I don't don't think you're right. I'm sorry, I don't think you're right. And he began to say to me, First Baptist Church in Minneapolis is no more. The First Baptist Church in Fort Worth, though there is a building out called something else down in Fort Worth, he said, is no more. He said, so many of the great churches, uh, Beecham Vick's church in Detroit is no more. He said, yes, it's possible that the Highland Park Baptist Church, and we were averaging over 9,000 in Sunday school at the time, could be no more. And by the way, today it is no more. It is no more. Think of that. And W.B. Riley said to illustrate diligence, he used the illustration of a, a shoe shine boy in days of old, shining shoes and wouldn't look up. He, would, he only looked at the shoe. He wouldn't look up. He was shining the shoe. And he, he wouldn't look up. He was shining and wouldn't look up. And uh, Dr. Riley said that's the best illustration of diligence he'd ever seen, that he was so given to shining the shoes, nothing else got his attention. And I believe the shepherd, I want you to know something. I don't care where your church is or where, where the building's located or how many people are there. That's not important. You ought to think it's the greatest place on earth because the Lord assigned it to you. God gave you that. Do you have anything that's treasured in your life that someone that you treasure gave you? Do you? God gave you that flock to do for Him. It's like the Lord Himself took His hand and put it on you and said, I want you to do this for me. This is my church, and I want you to do this for me. And be diligent to know the state. Be diligent. And let people know you're praying for them. And I remember long ago when I was a Southern Baptist pastor, we were enamored with John Bassanio. John Bassanio was the first man in a long time that had baptized over a 1,000 people in his church when he was at first southern dale city oklahoma and then went to first baptist church in houston and dr bassonio wrote a great book on positive pray and has said a lot of things and uh, um, but he, he said some things early on in his ministry and i just happened to intersect with him that affected me that affected me greatly and on this particular thing he wrote a book on how to have an evangelistic church And it's just full of ideas, full of ideas. Things you wouldn't do, I wouldn't do, but everything from getting on a church softball team. But one thing I remember said, use the telephone for evangelism. I'd never thought about that. This was long ago. Now, that's out of date for you. We did surveys on telephone. When I was pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church in the North City Tennessee, we called everybody in the phone book, found out they were in church phone surveys. He said, use the phone to call people and pray with them. I'd never thought about that. And all these men who work with me know that I do that all the time. I use my cell phone, call somebody and find out how they're doing. A personal visit would be better, but sometimes I can't get to that personal visit. But I pray with people on the phone. And I'll say, let's pray together. I even call people and I get their answering machine and I pray over the answering machine. Now, you may think that's foolish. That's okay. You may do some things I would think were foolish. I'm just trying to give you some some thought here. Talking about caring for your flock with diligence. Make it your business. It's your business. It's what God's given you to do. And um, that is so very, very important. May God help you. I'd like to talk more about that, but I'd like to get to number 10. The shepherd does not allow His flock to become prey for the enemy. Ezekiel 34, verses 5 and 6. The Bible says in Ezekiel 34, verses 5 and 6, And they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became meat to all the beasts of the field. When they were scattered, My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill, yea, My flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth and none did search or seek after them. I want you to write that verse down, that passage from Ezekiel 34 verses 5 and 6. Meditate upon it and see these people, these children, these young people, these families. The devil is after them. He's after them and And so many things are after him today. Things you and I used to think about, people got involved with when we were younger. uh, All of that as an onslaught is coming so much earlier. And then the philosophical things they're being brainwashed with in public education today. And the most dangerous thing is not smoking or drinking. And the most dangerous thing is not temptation to do things like that. The most dangerous thing is the philosophical things they're getting that deny God or substitute man for God. And may the Lord help us. The shepherd must help people not to become prey for the enemy. Now somebody say, well, I can't reach the masses. I can't reach the thousands. You're saying, I can't reach the multitudes. Well, thank God somebody reached you. They counted you, one person. You, precious. Think what all you can do because someone made you special to them. God has given me favor with people. I don't know why they cared so much for Clarence Sexton. Lee Robertson loved me. He said, I love you like a son. Can you imagine a man saying that? And a man like Lee Robertson? He said, I know you look at me like a father. And he said, Clarence... I look at you like my own son. I, I didn't make him say that, but I knew I had favor with him. Curtis Hudson says, I love you so much, my own children sometimes get jealous of you and Evelyn. And I love Dr. Hudson, and I love his family, and I'd do anything in the world for him. But I'm saying, God gives favor. Brother Hagin loves me. Till Brother Hagin died, and I had his funeral. Till he died, he counted the greatest thing God ever did in his ministry is to use him to reach the life of Clarence Sexton and to nurture me as a young preacher. Now, I was a member of Brother Hagin's church when God called me, but I was called to preach under the preaching of C.E. Autry. The other day I'd mentioned that, and somebody found it in some biographical thing I had written, and C.E. Autry's grandson wrote me. And uh, he's now director of evangelism for Southwestern Seminary. And he wrote me the kindest letter, and I wrote him I want him to know how much his granddaddy meant to me. I can still see that old elderly man standing on his tippy toes and preaching the word of God with such boldness, thundering forth the word of God and lifting his hand toward heaven. And I sat there listening and said, if I'm ever a preacher, that's the kind of preacher I want to be. That was C.E. Autry. You know, I'm saying to you, we, we have become intoxicated with numbers, intoxicated, intoxicated with bigness. It's the life of an individual that you can change. Some girl's life, some boy's life, some young couple, some some man's life. That's what shepherds do because they're keeping the flock from becoming prey for the enemy. I let people know it, it aggravates me. Oh, I saw a young man yesterday. Got him a new girlfriend. It's a girl that we've tried to reach, and she's here in college. And I said, "Buddy, you know how to treat a girl." Said to him yesterday, "You're a fine young man, a Christian young man. I believe you love the Lord, and you treat this young lady like a Christian ought to be treated." And I don't know what it meant to him, but I, I want him to know she has a shepherd looking after her. She doesn't belong to me. She belongs to the Lord and to her family. But I want to put my two cents worth in it. And you get up in that pulpit and you put your two cents worth in it and preach the word of God and declare your love for Christ and love for those people. That's the way a shepherd ought to be. Now, I've got some questions that I'm trying to answer and I've gotten a little carried away, forgive me says, as a shepherd, how do you lead people who don't want to be led? You don't. You pray for them. How do you lead people who don't want to be led? Some people can't lead and will not follow. So you pray that God will deal with them. And the Lord can deal with people where they need help. Don't be a smart aleck. You be available. We've had had so many people leave our churches through the years. Churches I've pastored, they just leave. And I said to Dr. Robertson one time, Dr. Robertson, what hurts you more than anything else? He said, when people get up and go, never say a word about it and never see them again. If somebody asked me today, what hurts you? I would say, when people get up and go, never say a word about it and never see them again. But you know what happens? You be kind when you see them in a grocery store. or You be kind when you're speaking to someone about them. And one by one, some of them find their way back. They're shamed anyway, most of them. But they find their way back, and they—they they need what what is here. May God guide us and help us. It says, "Are the people who are doing unprecedented random violence to other people demon possessed? They don't seem normal." Well, I believe there's a real devil, but I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to just say that's... I think the devil's behind all of that. But the flesh is capable of anything you ever imagine. Some of the most dastardly things you could ever imagine have been done by people who are professing Christians. Don't underestimate the power of the flesh, the world, and the devil. And you're, you're helping people. The only way for the victory is in the Spirit of God. It says, do you have any suggestion for post-COVID regulations in the church? I think it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Look, let's, let's talk about it like Christians. What you're doing is one of the essential pillars of our world, of our country. You're helping people recognize God in their lives. You're helping them to nurture that, that, that ought that's in us we ought to do the right thing we ought to be law-abiding we ought to treat people a certain way you're helping people with that no wonder you're under attack no wonder you are the bible says the end times are as in the days of Noah what do you think that means well I want you to know something I've never considered myself to be a prophecy preacher the position I hold about the second coming of Christ is well known to people. I'm a pre-tribulation pre I believe in the literal reign of Christ on the earth someday. He'll sit on the throne of his father David. The only throne David ever had was an earthly throne. But I get along with people who don't believe that. I get along with people who have a different view of eschatology than I do. But, uh, I, I, I do believe that God's revealing some things to us about the spirit of Antichrist at work in the world today. And this fear that has gripped us is, in my thinking, certainly a part of the spirit of Antichrist. There's a question here about what's happening to some churches in California. Well, we need to pray. We need to pray for them and encourage them. Uh, I don't know how God can use it for good, but I know God can use it for good. And we're trying to pray for those people. Uh, I'm praying for all of them, but many of them are my close, close friends. And I'm asking God to give them wisdom. I'm standing with them. I've sent information to them. And, uh, but I think that kind of thing, it may be in California today and other places, but it's coming to all of us eventually. It's coming to all of us. There's an intense building of hatred toward God. The long war against God is coming to a conclusion. When Satan leads his forces against Christ in the battle or battles of Armageddon, we know that's seven years of my thinking. At the conclusion of the of the tribulation, but those intense battles against God are building and building and building, and we're seeing some of that now. Some of the i think foreshadowing of that now just take heart preach the truth someone asked me about why i take a colloidal silver quinine and zinc every day and uh, why do you do that because my wife makes me do it <laughs> she says it'll make me a better boy and healthier And nicer to her. (laughs) And so Evelyn found out that's what I need to do. And so, hey, brother, I've been married over 53 years. Do you know how I did that? By doing what she said do. I come to you with a high recommendation about that for you. Uh, I tried to convince her that taking a great big bar of dark chocolate will help me too every day. and and maybe you can help me pray that she'll get a hold of that too listen I love being with you wish I could be more help to you but I want to encourage you let's fight the good fight and be the shepherds God wants us to be this is our moment and it is such a moment like no other in the history of our country what you're doing has always been important but never more important than this moment you're doing it now may God bless you let's pray for one another Amen? Brother Dan Knickerbocker, we're going to turn you on there so you can lead us in prayer and ask God to move mightily. I hope your evangelistic work is going good. I don't know where you preach. we got to get you back here to preach. One of the greatest men's revival meetings we ever had was the meeting you preached, Dan. And uh, I want to thank you for it. I hope your book is going well. Can you lead us in prayer? I would love to. Thank you. God bless you. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Pastor Sexton's Wisdom that you've given to him, what an encouragement as shepherds uh, over the flock that you have put us with from everyone that's, whether they're missionary, evangelist, pastor, oh God, use us mightily for your glory and honor. Be in this election, oh God, help people to register, the people in their church, and Lord, may we see a landslide victory. God, we are trusting you and you alone. We know, God, that we are incapable of turning the hearts of the people toward you. You must do it. And we thank you that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Continue to use this great ministry in this Zoom call. Continue to bless Pastor Sexton, give him health and strength, and continue to bless Temple Baptist Church and Crown College. We pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, fellas. God bless you. Love you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.